The Lord's name is as an ointment poured forth. And it's sweet and it's refreshing. And there's no sweeter compound name of Jehovah than the one which we are going to consider this evening. And we've been thinking about the compound names of the Lord. God has revealed his character, his nature unto his people by different means. And one of those means was by his names and titles. Now I'm going to give you the context here of Jeremiah chapter 23 as we lead into this. Jeremiah was sent as God's messenger to the southern kingdom of Judah. And at this point in history, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken captive 100 years previous, never to return. It seems that Judah had learned nothing from Israel's punishment, and she sinned even more grievously than her sister kingdom in the north. And she herself was 10 years away from captivity. Jeremiah's ministry began uh, during the reign of good king Josiah. Good kings and bad kings, reformation and counter-reformation, well, they had succeeded each other, which was a sad reflection of the unstable spiritual condition of the people and the rulers. Josiah's reign had followed on from the wicked reigns of Manasseh and Ammon. And he instituted sweeping reforms, and he saw a great spiritual revival in the land. But his successors, well, they swept all that good away, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And conditions in Judah, they went from bad to worse, spiritually, morally, and materially. The priesthood was corrupt, and oppression and violence, well, it filled the land. The Lord's warnings, it went unheeded, and his messengers, they were mistreated, they were mocked, they were abused, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy, as we're told in Second Chronicles. As one man described Judah's condition, at this point she was like a boat that had crossed the death line on Niagara, in the rapids and hurrying to the brink of the fatal precipice. The thunder clouds and lightning shafts of judgment were drawing near. No power on earth could save her. It is true that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. And when the righteous, they ruled in the land, well, the people, they prospered. When the unrighteous reigned, well, then the people, they suffered. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, the prophet here had a strong word of judgment from the Lord to the false prophets and the pastors or false pastors who led the people of Judah astray. They were ones who claimed they had a word from the Lord, but they had no word at all, as all they did was prophesy lies unto the people. Yet in the midst of this, in the midst of God's wrath and the pronouncement of his judgment, he remembers his covenant mercies, and he tells the people of one who would come, who would be a righteous ruler, who would execute justice and judgment in the earth. One who would be called by the name the Lord our righteousness, as we see there in verse 6. In the Hebrew, Jehovah Sekenu. And this, of course, is a messianic promise concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is believed that Jeremiah gave this prophecy in the days of Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, before the kingdom fell to the Babylonians. And there's something very interesting here in that point. Both the name Zedekiah and the word Sekenu well, they share the same root meaning, righteousness. Zedekiah means righteousness of Jehovah. But Zedekiah's name was originally Madaniah. 
It was Madaniah, which means gift of God, but his name was changed by Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and Judah. And there's a number of suggestions of why he did this. Now, we're told that name changed in 2 Kings chapter 24 and verse 17. And there are suggestions why Nebuchadnezzar changed this man's name, Metaniah, to Zedekiah. And the most, uh, we could say, the majority consensus is that he did this sarcastically, mocking Judah and Judah's God. But while he was doing that, Jeremiah was coming with God's message of comfort to his covenant people, God's covenant people, that someday the Lord would raise up one who would sit on David's throne, one who would be called by the name Jehovah Sekenu. And while the king of the, of the nations, they mock our God, God is working all things out for his good. And he ultimately has the last laugh. As devastating as Jeremiah's prophetic ministry was, it was also profoundly promising and wonderfully comforting for the Lord made himself known unto this people with this wonderful name, the Lord, our righteousness. And that's what we're going to consider this evening. The Lord, our righteousness. Not necessarily the context here, but really just the Lord, our righteousness. And what that all means. Firstly, I want you to think about this evening the necessity. The necessity of a justifying righteousness. The Lord Himself is a perfectly righteous one. What He always does is right, it's just, it's proper, and it's consistent with all His other attributes. When we say that God is righteous, we mean that there is no wrong, there's no dishonesty, there's no unfairness in Him. We read in Deuteronomy 32 in the verse 4, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right, or righteous is He. His righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. His righteousness is infinite. It is unchangeable. And we're told that His righteousness is the very foundation of His throne. Now, in contrast to the Lord's perfect righteousness is man's lack of righteousness. Now, man at the beginning was created righteous. We could say that righteousness really is a way to describe obedience to God. The one who does what God will have him do is righteous. And Adam was in good standing with God. He was, he was just moral, morally right, and as such he had fellowship with God. But man lost his original righteousness. When he sinned against God, he was doing that which God did not want him to do, and therefore he was no longer righteous, he was no longer just, he was no longer in a good standing with God. He came under condemnation and the punishment for his sin. And since we all came from Adam, we are all born lacking righteousness. Sinners are unjust. And we're told that in no uncertain terms in the Scripture. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now, this is a great problem for the sinner because the consequence of not being perfectly and perpetually righteous is that that individual is and becomes the object of divine justice. God must judge. God must punish the one who is not right, the one who does not obey and walk in the ways that he has commanded. And sinners are in this state of condemnation unless 
they can obtain a righteous standing before God. In other words, be justified. If they cannot do that, they cannot, as it were, attain that righteousness or come into a right standing with God or be justified, then they will face, they will face the fair punishment which their sin deserves. And over and over again, we have references in the Scripture which testify to the administration of God's justice upon the unrighteous. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Matthew 25 and verse 46, speaking of the unrighteous, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The great question is then asked, asked in the book of Job, how then can a man be justified or right with God? And the Bible is clear that, that no man can make himself righteous in God's sight. Now, that does not mean that men have not tried. It does not mean that men do not try. In their sinful ignorance and their selfish pride, they think that they can attain the righteousness that is required to be right with God. But in the New Testament, Paul, he sweeps away that notion, especially in the book of Romans. And he says there, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. Therefore, we need a righteousness. Sinners need a righteousness from another source. In other words, we need an alien righteousness, as Martin Luther put it, a righteousness which is outside of us. You know, even in the Old Testament, God's people, they rightly understood that only the Lord could provide the required righteousness. Isaiah 61, verse 10. And you'll know that verse, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me, he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And here in chapter 23 of the book of Jeremiah, in the midst of all the unrighteousness that was happening in the nation, the prophet tells of one who would come, who would be called the Lord our righteousness. He was foretelling of the one who would come to provide for the sinner a justifying righteousness by which they would once again be brought into a right standing with God. And so in the first place, we notice the necessity, the absolute necessity of a justifying righteousness. Secondly, I want us to think of the provision. The provision of a justifying righteousness. See, the Lord would provide that righteousness in which a man can be just before God, as we're told here in verse 6. Now, in the Godhead, and that's represented by that solemn name, Jehovah. You see it in our, in our verse 6 there, Lord, in the capital letters. Well, there are three persons in the glorious Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what needs to be determined at this point is which of the three divine persons is here intended? Who is the one that will provide this righteousness that we need? Well, that's not difficult to determine from the Scripture. And even from this context, we have the identification 
of who this is, who this one is, who's going to provide a righteousness, a justifying righteousness for those who need it. Look at the verse immediately preceding our text in verse 6 here. Verse verse 5, sorry. It tells us there, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. The Lord, our righteousness, is the same The same person who is identified in verse 5 as the righteous branch and the prosperous king promised to be raised up from the lineage of David. Now, if we take all our Old Testament passages like Isaiah 11 and verse 1, and we read there, And there shall come forth the rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. We could take Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12, Behold, the man whose name is a branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And you cross-reference those verses, these verses here in Jeremiah 23, with many verses and multiple verses in the New Testament, and you find that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, manifest in the flesh. He is the one who is our righteousness. He is the one who is the prosperous king who would sit and will sit upon the throne of David forever and forever. You see, when the angel Gabriel foretold of his birth, well, he applied, he applied that very prophecy to the Lord Jesus. And he said this, For the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. So it's clear, it's obvious. I know it's well versed in here, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has provided a justifying righteousness for his people. He is the righteousness of God revealed. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and the verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In other words, since Christ has rendered perfect obedience unto God's law, and honored it in his life and by his death. Sinners are justified. They come into a right standing with God because of his righteousness. Paul, he writes in that first epistle to the church at Corinth, chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The Lord Jesus, He is our righteousness. He has provided it for us. He came to reverse all the effects of the fall of man into sin, and that included the loss of original righteousness. He came in order to secure a standing and an acceptance before God for sinners like you and me. By His death upon the cross as our substitute, The Son of God, He paid our debt. He made atonement for our sins. And He redeemed us from the curse of the law by the shedding of His precious blood. And He made satisfaction of divine justice. By the shedding of His blood, He has washed away our sins as far as the east is from the west. But listen, listen. It is not enough for us to be pardoned from all sin. Think what? 
It is true that being pardoned by the blood of Christ means that we are without sin in the sight of God, but we must also have a positive righteousness before Him. We must. God requires perfect obedience, and that's what righteousness is. The result of which is the promise of eternal life. Yes, it's great our sins are away, but we also must have a positive righteousness to be accepted in God's sight. Why do I say that? For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And Christ has secured for us, yes, not only the forgiveness of our sins, the cleansing of our sins, but He secured this positive righteousness whereby we are accepted before God. Not only did He die for us and for His people, but He lived for them as well. And that's why you can never separate the active and the passive obedience of Christ, the life and the death of Christ, because it was all needed, every part of it. He obeyed the law of God in every precept to the utmost, in thought and feeling and purpose and word and action. And at the heart of the gospel is a blessed truth of imputation. Imputation, what is that? Well, it's the reckoning of that which belongs to someone, to another. The reckoning of that which belongs to someone, to another. And those who trust in Christ, well, you know that the guilt of their sin is imputed to Christ and He takes the penalty for it on the cross. But in return, to them is imputed or reckoned the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key verse concerning that glorious truth at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And having received Christ's righteousness by faith, what happens? Well, God, he willingly and gladly declares that sinner as just or righteous in his sight. He graciously accepts, he, he blesses and he rewards us as though all that Christ did had been done by us, His believing people. God so perfectly imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. So blessed is our union with Him that we are called by this same name, the very same name that our Lord is called by. And we read of that in Jeremiah chapter 33 and the verse 16. The church is called by this blessed name. So intimate is our union. So perfectly blessed is that imputation to us that the church of Jesus Christ is called by the same blessed name. Jeremiah 33 and the verse 16. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she, the church, the believing, God's covenant people shall be called the Lord our righteousness. As He is, so are we in the world. What a blessed thing. All is reckoned unto us as if we lived that life of perfect obedience. What a blessed thing. Martin Luther said this, A man can with confidence boast in Christ and say, Mine are Christ's living, doing and speaking, his suffering and dying, mine as much as if I lived, done, spoken, suffered, and died as he did. Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness, 
and all that he has becomes ours. Rather, he himself becomes ours. What is this? This is all what we call theologically justification. Being justified when we are and receive the imputation of Christ's righteousness by faith alone. The Shorty Catechism defines justification as the act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. The meritorious grounds of our standing, our acceptance before God is not our faith. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You might have a weak faith. You might have a little faith. But your acceptance before God is not how strong your faith is. It is the blessed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we've had, or we've thought about the necessity of a justifying righteousness. We've thought about, or we've thought about there, the provision of a justifying righteousness. Thirdly, and I'm going to just have to skim over this tonight. The character of a justifying righteousness. What is this righteousness that you possess that is imputed to you, is reckoned to your account? Well, it is a gracious righteousness. It is a gracious righteousness. It was of God's good pleasure and a merited grace alone that ever a plan for working out such a righteousness was devised. You know, God was under no obligation to carry out such a plan. The honor of his name wouldn't have been tarnished, nor the integrity of his righteous government compromised. If he had a left man to his just recompense of his sin, just as he did the angels who left their first estate, nothing would have been tarnished in God. He would have lost none of his honor, none of his glory. But out of free and sovereign grace, he did this. Blessed be his name, grace ruled in the councils of eternity. A.M. Toplady, he wrote these words, and he, Philip Doddridge, I think he shared writing this hymn with. But in verse 2, and this is one that A.M. Toplady wrote, he said, Grace first contrived a way to save rebellious man, and all the steps that grace display, which drew the wondrous plan. It's grace, and since it is God's grace that has procured this righteousness, so it's the same grace that dispenses it. It is grace alone that makes men feel their need of this righteousness. And it's grace alone that inclines them to seek it. It's grace alone that makes them willing to cast off their sin, their self, and anything else that they might hold on to and rest upon that His righteousness alone. It is a gracious righteousness. It's something else. It's a perfect righteousness. God's perfect law was the standard by which this righteousness was to be measured. And Christ measured fully up to the standard of the holy law. The scrutiny of God's holy and penetrating eye examined it and weighed it in the balances of the heavenly sanctuary and God himself declared that he was pleased with his well-beloved son. The perfect righteousness. Christ without spot, wrinkle or any such thing. There's no mark 
There's no shadow of imperfection about the righteousness that the Lord Jesus worked out in his life. There's nothing left undone. As a true man, he fulfilled it right down the law, right down to the last jot and tittle. There's no imperfection that you and I need to make up. One commentator of old said this, A robe I must have off a whole piece, broad as the law, spotless as light, and richer than ever an angel wore, and such a robe I have in the righteousness of Christ. It's a perfect righteousness. It's a uniform righteousness. It's a righteousness that all God's people possess. None are accepted on any other grounds than this. And therefore, there is an equality with which each one of us stand before the throne of God. None are more or less justified than another. It doesn't matter if you're only saved two days or if you're saved two decades. The grounds of acceptance for all is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The dying thief who turned to the Lord in penitence and faith. Well, he had the same title to enter heaven as the Apostle Paul or Peter or Moses or Abraham or Isaiah or Elijah, any of those people. It is a uniform righteousness. We all have the same grounds of acceptance before God. Number four, it is an unchanging righteousness. See, the personal righteousness of the child of God which is wrought in the soul by the work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification, well, it may increase and it should increase and it will increase when the Spirit is working in them. But this righteousness, this justifying righteousness, which is procured by Christ, given to believer, it knows no change. We sang, this spotless robe, the same appears. When ruined nature sinks in years, no age can change its glorious hue. The robe of Christ is ever new. The very moment the sinner repented and exercised faith in Jesus Christ, there was imputed to them his righteousness, and they're as much justified at that instant as they are in the hour of death, as they are at God's judgment, or at any period of, of eternity. It is an unchanging righteousness. Number five, it is therefore a glorious righteousness. Because it is gracious, because it is perfect, because it is uniform, because it is unchanging. In possessing Christ's righteousness, and this blessed me and, well, caused me to wonder with awe. God's people are more blessed than the angels or archangels who must stand before God in their own righteousness a righteousness of a creature. We are accepted before God and we are elevated to a higher degree than Adam was there at the very beginning. We stand before God on the very grounds which is occupied by His own eternal, only begotten Son. We're accepted in Him. Psalm 89. In the verse 16 we read, In thy righteousness shall they be exalted. You've been lifted up. One man said this, the humblest believer would be the loser if they exchange places with Gabriel. We have the righteousness of Christ upon us. The character 
of justifying righteousness. But finally tonight, the comfort. The comfort of justifying righteousness. What's the takeaway tonight? I heard a brother, Derek Douglas, and he said in the children's meeting one night, he says, every meeting should have a takeaway. And well, I'm sure you like me, you like a takeaway. And it's good to have a takeaway. Well, it's maybe not if you've got high cholesterol, but it's nice to have a takeaway. Let's put it like this. And every meeting should have a takeaway. What are we taking away? This isn't here just to, to fill us with knowledge. The Lord, our righteousness. Yes, I needed a justifying righteousness. Yes, Christ has provided a justifying righteousness. Here's the character of a justifying righteousness. What's the comfort in it? What's the, how can I use this? How can I uh, apply this in my life? Well, I'm going to try and sum it up here in just a few points, a few bullet points. We're all equally accepted before the throne of God, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I encourage all to pray. All to pray. We're all equally accepted. We have the same justifying righteousness imputed to us. And therefore, you're welcome to come to the throne of heavenly grace, clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, confidently, I approach the eternal throne. Another point, we are secure. We can never perish because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We have the title deeds to heaven and we shall enter in. You read that, Revelation 22, believe it is, possibly verse 12, it's those who keep his law, they have the right to enter in. Well, we couldn't do that. But we have the imputed righteousness of one who did keep the law. You've got the title deeds, and you'll enter in. We have also here the word of God with which we can resist the devil. When he accuses us that we're not good enough, of ourselves we're not, brethren and sisters, we're unworthy, we're sinful, we're wretched but we have a perfect righteousness. And though there's one who accuses us, there's a great high priest in heaven who is our righteousness. What else? How do we use this name, Jehovah Sekenu, as we think about this, the Lord being our righteousness? Well, we need to pray for those. We need to pray for those who are still in unrighteousness. And under the wrath of God, that they would begin, they would begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That they would be aware that they're not righteous, that they're unjust, that they're not in a good standing with God, but they would hunger and thirst for this righteousness that Christ has provided for His people. On the 18th of November, 1843, while recovering from a bout of fever that would eventually take his life, Robert Murray McShane wrote the words of his famous hymn, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. He said of himself that he was an upright sinner, thinking that he had no need of a justifying righteousness. But that was until free grace awoke him. It was then that he saw his need of Christ. And Jehovah Sekenu became his watchword for life and death. And I think it's only fitting that we sing that hymn. 
uh, even before we come to a time of prayer. Let's just bow our heads. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts. And ask the Lord to bless it. May you be encouraged even to pray tonight. We'll have prayer and then we'll sing that great hymn of Robert Murray McShane. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank and bless thee for oh, what we have been considering tonight. We thank thee for the one, the Lord our righteousness. We come before thee, it's a marvel, Lord. We thank thee, Lord, that we not only have our sins taken away, washed away in his precious blood, but we do have a positive justifying righteousness which has been given unto us, received by faith alone. And we thank thee, Lord, that Christ is the one who is just, bringing us the unjust to God. And we thank thee, Father, that we have acceptance, for we stand complete in him. Bless thy dear people. Bless these words to their heart, things that are familiar, O God, to many. And yet, Lord, it's good to be reminded. It's good to think upon them again. It's good to have them established in our hearts. Lord, we can utilize this great name, Jehovah Sekenyon, the Lord our righteousness. Lord, I pray that thou would bless us even as we sing praise. And then, Lord, get down to the time of prayer. So do us good, Father. We ask this all in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.